All who come to this happy place, welcome. Disneyland is your land. Here, age relives fond memories of the past. I'm a real boy! You want thingamabobs? I got 20. 10,000 years will give you such a crick in the neck. We can die! We can die! This is the Magic on a Dollar podcast with David Dollar. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Magic on a Dollar podcast. I am your host, as our wonderful uh, spokesman there said at the beginning of the show, with David Dollar. That's me, David Dollar, and I'm glad you're here for another episode. Episode number 23, we are entering April, and I hope you had a great Easter. hope you had a good Easter holiday. hope you had a good Easter weekend with your family. I uh, hope you had a good spring break. I know a lot of Spring break. Uh, that's why this episode is a, is a little little late, maybe a few hours late, uh, maybe a day or so late, depending on when it can get it out for you. But um, we just got back from our spring vac- spring break vacation. The family and I, my uh, my dear wife, my dear mother in law, and of course our small child, our six year old. We all went down to Disney World. We had an appointment in Melbourne, Florida, which is about seventy miles away. Um, actually, had no idea it was closer to Miami than it is Orlando. It's it's on the east side, actually. Of, uh, Florida, uh, not the west side, which is where I thought it would be closer to Tampa, but we went to Melbourne, Florida for a little while for an appointment and then spent the rest of the week at Disney World, and we're still recovering, as most people do when they come back from Disney World. We stayed at the Swan Hotel, the Swan and Dolphin, where hotels created, commissioned and created by architect and designer Michael Graves back in the 80s, and somewhere along the way, Disney sold those properties to uh, what ended up being Marriott. They, they're, the, they're the ones that own them now. Another company owned them, and the Marriott bought them out, and Marriott, Starwood Hotels, so they are actually on Disney property, and they're only considered Disney hotels, sort of. I guess kind of, sort of. There's some different things. Some of the benefits are still there. Some of the benefits are not there. We didn't get to use our magic bands um, for, for you know opening doors and charging to the rooms and stuff. You know, uh, things are different. Things are a little bit different there. You can't use the Magical Express from there. There's a different way of doing that. They charge parking fees, which now Disney resorts, uh, resorts own, do parking fees, but... Um, but uh, the Swan and Dolphin have done parking fees for a little while. So it was a little bit different. We were there for the week and got in on Sunday. We were going to fly back home on Sunday afternoon, but we realized the flights were a little cheaper on Monday. So we decided, hey, let's get a room only one night and let's get uh, let's get fly back on Monday. We can save some money on some flights, save some points on the flights. We fly Southwest. We use our Southwest points. And we are Dave Ramsey people. Our family is debt-free and has been debt-free for years and years and years, but... We do have one credit card, and that credit card is a Southwest Visa, and we get flight points on it. We put everything on it. This is not a. This is not telling you this is what you should do. This is not saying you should go out and buy yourself a, a, a you know a credit card of any kind. I'm not going to endorse that. I don't ever want to be a credit card sponsor because uh, we don't use credit cards. But that's what we do. People ask, ask me about Disney visas, and as a travel planner, people say, you know, what about Disney visa? Should I get one? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Whatever you want to do. I don't own a Disney visa. I don't plan on owning a Disney visa. That's not my jam. But we do use the Southwest visa for flight points, which works pretty well. So all that is to say that we were going to come back on Monday. And so the plan was, and best laid plans, and, and you people, mom and dads especially, you know on vacations, when you set your vacation plans out, um, you know, you have some flexibility there, but you kind of have an idea of this is how we're going to do it, it's going to work like this, and it's going to be awesome. So the plan was, you know, we're going to go to the Magic Kingdom on Sunday, and spend the day, spend the evening, and perhaps, you know, we'll uh, we'll get back to the room. Coronado Springs is where I was going to stay, and I was excited about this, because I've stayed at Coronado Springs one other time, and we got there probably one in the morning, and we slept until about 5 in the morning, 6 in the morning or whatever, we got up, and then we moved to another hotel. 
So, because we had breakfast appointment, breakfast uh, that morning at, at the park and something, so we had to really, you know, get out. So that day, you know, I was there for like four or five hours total, and I was sleeping the whole time. It was dark and everything, so I didn't really get to do to uh, to experience Coronado Springs. So we booked Coronado Springs for that one night, and I thought, well, uh, this is great because I'll get to get there, and maybe it'll be evening or dusk, and I'll take some pictures and get to walk around, kind of really experience the resort. And of course, best laid plans fall by the wayside. Because we got back to the room, we got back to Coronado Springs, or actually to Coronado Springs, right around, you know, 11 o'clock. Um, our luggage had been moved from the Swan to Coronado Springs, and all of our luggage had been moved, all of our suitcases and everything. And so we had to take uh, take all the luggage and everything. And, of course, Coronado is a very large resort, and so we had to have somebody kind of take a take a little, little shuttle, a little golf cart, take us around the resort to our room. And we were there, and it was 1 o'clock before we all went to bed. It, we had a flight at 7 in the morning, so we had to get up at 3.30 in the morning, get ready, get out the door at 4. And so all that is to say I've spent two nights at Coronado Springs in my life, a total of about 7 to 8 hours, which is crazy. So yesterday, Monday, was completely tiring and exhausting. So that's why I didn't get the show out because I could barely function. So there's your opening to the show as I'm talking about my life and my, my complications with my travel. It's problems of the blessed, folks. I am... Not going to complain about it. I loved every second of it. I loved being there. And even when I'm tired and exhausted and spent after walking at Disney, I have to recognize the fact that I'm at Disney World. How can I complain about being tired at Disney World, spending too much money at Disney World when there are people that would love to go and do those same things? So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna to complain about that at all. But let's get to the show, shall we? This is why you tuned in. You tuned in to hear some Disney stuff. We'll do some Disney news. We'll do some Disney fun. We'll talk about some Disney stuff, and we'll do part two of my Universal overview. We'll talk about the Islands of Adventure part of Universal. We'll get to that a little bit later on, but let's kick it off with just a little bit of Disney news, shall we? This is Disney news from around the world. Okie dokie. So really, there's not a ton going on here. I debated even you know whether I even need to talk about Disney news because I didn't really know what to talk about because there's not a lot of happenings, but I did want to mention a few things here. One of the things they're doing now is a Disney digital key system. Disney has announced it will begin rolling out a brand new digital key feature at Walt Disney World Resorts. Guests uh, staying on property will have an option when accessing their rooms, which you can use your magic band. Or if you have a hard ticket, you can use a hard ticket. If you're staying at a hotel on Disney property, um, the, the digital key will do everything your magic band will do, including opening up your uh, your room. Which, you know, from within the app, basically you pull your app open and everything, you're able to unlock the doors to the app feature. Guests can use their key inside my Disney experience to unlock the hotel entrance gate and common areas requiring their key, which include pools, fitness centers, elevators, club level lounges. Let's say you're going to the pool and you're like, I don't want to take my magic band with me. You know, I don't want to take, I'm going to, going to work out. I don't want to get my magic band dirty or filthy or whatever. So, um, you know, I don't know why you couldn't just take it off, but... You know, it will allow you to access those things, and this is coming from ThemeParkTours.com. So you'll be able to do all those things. Uh, arriving travel parties that have used Disney's online check-in feature may even use their digital key to bypass the need to visit the front desk, giving you a chance to go straight to the room when they are ready. So you'll be able to pull it up on your computer and basically use your phone to kind of scan over the uh, scan over the, the, the lock to unlock it. Now, this is good and bad. For me personally, I don't know that I'll use this very much because after a long day at Disney World, a long day in the parks... A lot of times my phone has like 4% on it because I have pushed and pushed and pushed. And I've got some charging, you know, some charges I've used. But a lot of times I'll go through those during the day because I'm taking so many pictures, maybe taking videos. I'm, I'm checking news, checking email. I know I'm on vacation checking email. David Dollar, what are you doing? Don't check email. It happens. And for you, for some of you people out there, you're going to check email. You're going to check your messages regardless of what I tell you. So let's just not, let's not fool ourselves, okay? 
So checking messages, looking at email, looking at pictures, you know, uploading pictures. My phone dies. It dies quickly. I put a charger on it. The charger dies after a little while. And so by the end of the night, I'm pushing I'm 7 8%. i got to get into the room so I can charge it. What if my phone dies and I can't get into the room because it's on the app, which is on my phone, which is now dead? So I don't know that I'm going to use this very much, but, you know, you'll be able to use your magic band as well. So don't worry about that. Don't worry. You'll be able to have your magic band for that. So that's not a big deal. Um, moving on next, Toy Story Mania. The Fast Pass temporarily discontinued for Toy Story Mania beginning this week, actually, um, starting April 9th, actually, through May the 7th. So about a month or so, you will not be able to get Fast Passes for Toy Story Mania. This is going to be a disaster, and it's an unavoidable disaster, because let me kind of set the scene for you here. Toy Story Mania is in the back of Hollywood Studios, and it's sitting where, right in front of where they're going to have Toy Story Land, which is opening up on June 30th. So what they're going to do, basically, is they're going to, we're going to move the entrance to Toy Story Mania around to the other side of the building, so that way you'll be able to go in in Toy Story Land. So you go into Toy Story Land, and you'll go, go into Toy Story Mania instead of going into Toy Story Mania and then going into Toy Story Land. hope you can kind of visualize what I'm talking about here. Because the, the opening, the brand new entrance of Toy Story Mania will be facing into Toy Story Land instead of out of it. Anyway, so you'll be able to go through there and get to the attraction uh, that way. Now, they have to shut this down. They have to kind of move this around because this will be a fast pass queue. There are three tracks. Now, some of you may be wondering, what in the world are you talking about? What is Toy Story Mania? It is a ride, basically, that kind of puts you in the arcade uh, of, of Andy's room. So you go into a little car, and it kind of zips around. It doesn't move. It doesn't move really fast. It doesn't spin very much. So... Unless you're just extremely prone to motion sickness, you should be fine. You have a little gun in front of you. It's like a little uh, little, little shooter, basically, and you have a little drawstring and with a little ball on it. So you pull the string, and it kind of makes a kind of sound, and you put the 3D glasses on it. So every time you pull that string, something shoots out of the gun virtually on the screen. Nothing really shoots out of the gun, but you see it on the screen. And they have different games that you play along the way, along the track. You don't have to move. You're just in the car itself. The car moves. And first, I think there's like a dart gum game where they have little plastic darts with little suction cups on it. And you're shooting you know, at targets, at little funny animals, and you're trying to shoot at Woody or whatever. You get points. The next one, I think, is a... Uh, is there's like plates where you have Sarge uh, the, from the Toy Story soldiers out there. There's plates flying everywhere, and you're breaking plates, little, shooting little balls. And then you have one with the rings. The aliens are there, so you're throwing rings on top of the aliens trying to get to them. And then finally you get to another one where you're shooting little darts and stuff. And so it's a lot of fun. It's one of, it's one of my three favorite attractions in all of Disney World, the other two being Phil Magic and uh, Soren. And so I love Toy Story Mania. I did it a couple times this week, and I just had so much fun with it. Um, but – that's what Toy Story Mania is. Now, it's extremely popular. It's hugely popular there at Hollywood Studios, and even the Fast Pass line builds up very, very long. And, you know, the Fast Pass line is supposed to actually get you in line pretty fast, but I think the ride actually broke down early on Sunday morning. I'm sorry, Saturday morning when we went. Friday or Saturday, whatever it is when we went, it kind of all went together. Um, so it broke down. So people with Fast Passes couldn't, couldn't use them, so they had to come back later. So the Fast Pass line was forever, and they, they've prioritized Fast Pass people because you know you have a Fast Pass, so you should be getting on the line quicker. So standby waits even longer. So the wait times were getting up to close to three hours for this one ride while Fast Pass was going through, probably waiting 45 minutes for a Fast Pass attraction. So – all that is to say that, uh, yeah, it's gonna be a, uh, it's gonna be a little crazy, and so uh, it's gonna be a little nuts in there. And if you want to go to Toy Story Mania, if you're going to Hollywood Studios, you need to go there first. I mean, go there directly first. Do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Go straight to Toy Story Mania, because otherwise, you're gonna be looking at a long, long wait for Toy Story Mania, and the ride is worth it. If you can get there and the wait times an hour or less, then go ahead and do it. If you have small children, you know you have to adapt. You have to kind of figure that out. You can use you can use Rider Swap if you need to, but 
There will be no fast passes. There will be no fast passes uh, for that month. So have fun with that. That's going to be crazy. And finally, some, some movie news for you here. Uh, private screening of Mary Poppins Returns, which comes out, of course, this, this December, was shown to a test audience and received a very poor grade. From those attending the screening, Disney is hoping Mary Poppins Returns is going to be a blockbuster that was going to be Solo, a Star Wars story. And the kind of the theory is maybe they moved because Solo was going to come out. The, the Star Wars movie was going to come out in December. They pulled it back to May to kind of anchor that plus the Avengers to kind of be the two tent poles for Disney for the summer. That was going to basically kill a lot of the other, <laughs> other movies coming out. So they thought Mary Poppins Returns will be the big December blockbuster. Well, now they're going to make some changes because apparently the, they didn't like the ending. They didn't like some of the some of the stuff, which movie companies do this. They will do this from time to time. They will show it to an early test audience, and, and there's still scenes being shot, so they're not done with the movie by any means. But they'll show parts of the movie and kind of get a test grade. Hey, are we headed in the right direction? Are we headed in the wrong direction? And um, audiences will tell them, yes, we liked it, or no, we didn't. And apparently Mary Poppins is not getting good reviews right now. Again, don't fret. It's early. We still have, what, eight months to go before we're even there. So there's a lot of changes that are going to happen to this movie. So if you know somebody who saw this movie or you heard about this movie and you heard, oh, no, it's not getting good reviews, don't worry about that because everything will be changed between now and December. Um, I believe that uh, Rosie O'Donnell is going to be cast as uh, Mary Poppins' mother, which uh, – or mum, I think her character is. Whether that works or not, I have no yeah, um, and Julie Andrews, according to WDW News Today, Julie Andrews was the one suggested casting Rosie O'Donnell after being a guest on The View many, many years ago. Uh, O'Donnell and Julie Andrews have been friends, and Rosie O'Donnell delighted Andrews by singing several songs from the classic Mary Poppins, including supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. And of course, they are, you know, so they're friends, so Julie Andrews suggested Rosie O'Donnell for this character. So we will see what happens with Mary Poppins Returns. I do hope they get it fixed, because... Uh, I'm really looking forward to this movie. I love Emily Blunt. She's one of my favorite actresses out there, and so I'm really hoping this works. I'm hoping this can this this can work. So, so anyway, so there you go. A little bit of Disney history for you. This is kind of fun. Maybe we had we need some history music. Hey, my good friend Tim Dumay out there. Since you're not doing anything, can you make me some history music? Just kidding, just kidding. He's the guy who did uh, who did my theme music at the very beginning. And you know, if you go to, I'm going to put this on the podcast page. I'm going to put his his a link to his website on. Uh, and his email on my podcast page. If you go to magiconadollar.com, click on the podcast tab at the very top, and you'll see the show notes from all the other episodes that, have, that I've done. You'll see kind of what it's all about and kind of each one, what, what you know, movie reviews and history reviews. And, you know, I've talked about the Keys to the Kingdom tour, and I've talked about different park experiences. I've talked about Universal. I've talked about Walt, some Disney history. I did one episode on Disney history about Walt Disney building Magic Kingdom and that kind of thing. So I'm going to put his, his, uh, his uh, email up there so you can kind of click on it. But Tim Dumais is a is a presentation guy who does audiovisual stuff and he basically did my theme music um and my news music so you know what maybe we'll maybe if maybe we'll get some history music anyway doesn't matter so uh let's look at some disney history here and this is kind of fun 1973 this week in disney history walt disney world raised general admission for the second time since october 1971 opening so in two years they raised disney prices sounds just like disney right general admission went from 375 to 450 per day. This is where I cue the ah kind of music. So yeah, 450 a day. Considering Magic Kingdom one day prices are upwards of close to 130 bucks a day, that's 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 kind of crazy or even kind of hard to think about. Ticket books are increased by 35 cents. Increased by 35 cents for a book of eight. Back in the day, you had ticket booklets and they had A, B, C, D, and E attractions. And a lot of times you might hear the word e-ticket attraction, and you might, which we don't use tickets now. Now you go into Disney World, you pay your price, you go in, you ride whatever you want to, you just hop on. 
You know how you go to a state fair and you have to buy a ticket booklet and you go to like the the, the, the zipper or whatever, the carnival ride, and it costs like three tickets or five tickets. And you go to the merry-go-round and it costs like two tickets and you go to the scrambler and it's three tickets. Well, that's the way Disney used to be. You get a booklet of, of like a booklet of eight tickets and A, B, C, and D, E, track, e attractions. And each ticket, you could ride one attraction. So you go to Space Mountain. That's your E-ticket attraction. You use that E-ticket. If you wanted to ride Space Mountain again, you had to go buy more E-ticket booklets or more booklets for more E-tickets. So you'll hear a lot of times the term E-ticket attraction. That basically means it's almost like a thrill ride. Um, that's a you know that's an e-ticket attraction. Uh, nowadays, a rock and roller coaster will be an e-ticket attraction. Um, you know, Small World was something like an A or an a B attraction. I, and there's a list out there. There's a whole list of what they used to be, and I don't have it in front of me, so I don't know it from memory. But that's kind of how it used to be. Small World would be something simple. Haunted Mansion would be something like C or D attraction. Nothing thrilling or too fast, but still just kind of fun. Um, so that would be the the, the ticket booths. All right, moving on. Back in 2007, this week in Disney history in 2007, Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor opened up in Disney World's Magic Kingdom up in Tomorrowland. It replaced the Circle Vision attraction, The Timekeeper, and it's based on the Disney Pixar animated film Monsters, Inc., and it has characters Mike Wazowski and Roz. The theater itself has 400 seats. It has digital puppetry technology, kind of like Turtle Talk with Crush. Uh, actors perform voices behind a large digital screen. While computer-rendered monsters appear on the screen with actors' voices, movable cameras are used by performers backstage to locate guests with whom they would like to interact. A Disney cast member in the theater will then take a microphone to the selected guests so that the guests can talk to the performers. This is coming from a Disney history site. Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor is a lot of fun. If you've never done it, you should really, really do it. You go in there, you sit down. It's like an auditorium. And the technology to me is really, really cool because the cartoons on the screen interact with you. They will talk to you. So they will come out and they will ask you a question um, you know, they'll say, what's your name? My name is Dave. Okay, Dave. And they'll ask a question. You have to answer and they'll respond to that. And I don't know exactly how the technology works. I know there's, there's cast members stationed at, in vital positions around the theater where they can see you. And of course you push a few buttons and it will, you know, you want the, the character to smile, the character to groan, the character to look this expression or the mouth to do this. And you do some animation work on the computer and makes that. And I'm sure that if you do it for a while, it's like second nature, you know how to make a character frown. And then go to laughter and then anger like in a second. So you know where the buttons are. And you, you put the voices voices to that. The technology is amazing. I, 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 it blows me away how that works. And Monsters, Inc. is just like that because you get in there and you have to you, – you're they're collecting your laughter. So they're telling you jokes and they're making funny things to collect laugh. One of my wife's favorite characters is Buddy Boyle, and he's a character that's in there. And she I think that's one of her favorite characters in all of Disney World. Uh, Buddy Boyle is one of the monsters and tells really – Really, really funny joke. Well, they're corny jokes, and using his telepathetic my telepathetic powers, I'm going to you know close my eyes so I can't hear you when he asks you what number you're thinking of, and it's a lot of fun. So if you've never done Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor, I highly recommend you do it because it's just great. Uh, also, this week in 2000 and 2000 and I believe 16 Lights Motors Action Extreme Stunt Show performed its final performance at Disney's Hollywood Studios. As nearby locations around the streets of America closed to make way for Toy Story Land and Star Wars Land. Now, part of the uh, that area was absorbed by Muppets Courtyard, which was official the next day. Uh, Last Motors Action came out in 2005 as part of the Happiest Celebration on Earth Festival. Um, of course, also the Honey, I Shrunk the Kid Playground movie set adventure also closed at Hollywood Studios as well. Uh, and the Disney, the Dream Along with Mickey live stage show that was performed daily in front of the Cinderella Castle also closed this week in 2016. But Last Motors Action, was a, it was also, well, I say it was a lot of fun. It's a show that you've seen once and you're probably good without seeing it again for several, several years. Um, and I've often referred to things like this as what's called a people eater, which means basically it, a lot of people can go into this at once, and the theater itself holds like a thousand people. It's huge. It's an outdoor arena. It's an outdoor amphitheater. 
Now, you go to see this in July, you're going to burn up because they have an awning that covers about half of the audience. Uh, a lot of people would go there. I myself would do the same thing, would go there and get under the awning. So you could kind of be under the awning and kind of see and you know watch the show and be in the shade. It's not cool, but it's in the shade. You're sitting out in the sun uh, past the awning. You're, you're burning. You're, you're, you're roasting like a piece of bacon on a frying pan. It is hot as Hades because it's Central Florida and it's summer. And even in the winter months, that sun will bear down on you. But the show itself was a lot of fun. They kind of demonstrate how they do some stunt driving. And you have some stunts performed on, on uh, jet skis and on cars as cars are jumping all over the place. And they're driving backwards. They're catching on fire. And they're crashing. Crashing through things, and it was it was a fun show. You can go and Google and kind of Google the show Lights Motors Action Extreme Stunt Show. And you can see the same thing and kind of watch the show itself. But a lot of fun. Uh, kids loved it. My you know boys loved it because you got cars and you got fights and you got explosions and fire and blah blah blah. It's, it's cool. Um, you know, so I, I I thought it was a great show. It did close, of course, all that area. Uh, was closed to make it lovely for Star Wars Land and Toy Story Land. But the problem Hollywood Studios has had in the recent years or so since then is the fact that. You know, you've now got a theater that holds a thousand people on so on a busy day, those thousand people have to go somewhere else besides that theater. And they've gone elsewhere, like Toy Story Mania and Rock and Roller Coaster and other places, which is why in the world wait times can be so, so long when it comes to that. So so there's a little bit of Disney history there for you. Um just thought this was kind of fun. Now let's go on to some Universal stuff. I visited Universal uh several weeks ago. And if you listen to last week's show, you'll hear uh, my my take on the Universal, the first part of my – I guess my first part of the Universal overview uh, where I talked about Universal Studios itself. And as a reminder, there are two parks, Universal Studios and Islands of Adventure. And Islands of Adventure is where you have the the uh, the main stuff where you have like the main Marvel stuff and things like that. And you know, a report came out not too long ago, and i gotta, I got to find it. Maybe I'll link it on my Disney page as well. But it talked about the, the minute details of the Universal Disney deal because people still ask me. It's out there if you Google it, but people ask me a lot. Why can't Disney use Marvel stuff in their studio in their parks? Why can't Magic Kingdom in, in Orlando do Disney stuff? Why don't they have it in Hollywood? Why do they have Star Lord and Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy, but they can't have Spider Man? And there's a whole lot of little minute details that are in there that you just don't even want me to get into. But it's essentially they can't use the Avengers and Spider Man and so on. Uh, east of the Mississippi for a lot of reasons because of licensing deals because those characters are universal. Spider-Man actually is owned by Sony um, and was leased to uh, was leased to Disney Marvel for the Avengers movies and for Captain America Civil War and made I mean just made a ton of money and so even the Spider-Man Homecoming and the sequel that's coming out in the next year or so that's going to be a Sony Disney venture kind of working together on that. So that's all that movie legal mumbo jumbo stuff. Let's talk about Universal itself because. What brought me to that was the fact that there is a Marvel Land in Universal's Islands of Adventure. Islands of Adventure opens up uh, – you open up and you go to the port of entry, which is the very beginning of the actual actual thing. Port of entry, you go in, and uh, they have all kinds of little places there. City Walk is right there, and remember Universal, two parks, City Walk sits between them. So as you're walking through City Walk, at one point in time in your journey, you can make a right, go 100 yards, and there's Universal Studios – or keep going straight, and you will run into Islands of Adventure. Well, this time around, I went to Islands of Adventure. I didn't get there quite as early as I did last time. I didn't need to. I had my ticket, so I was ready to go. Still a little cool. Uh, I wore shorts and a T-shirt with a jacket on, thinking I would take my jacket off at some point and kind of throw up my locker and uh, that I had rented for like 10 bucks for the day. And I did never took my jacket off one single time because it was cold. It was cold. So I went to the port of entry. My first stop was to going to be to go to Kong Skull Island or Skull Island Reign, Reign of Kong. This was kind of the new, the newest attraction there, and I didn't know how busy it would be. So I figured I'd go straight there first, ride that, and then kind of circle back around. So that's exactly what I did. I went there first and 
opened up and uh, uh, went over there to Kong, Skull Island, Reign of Kong, and it's basically you're, you're in a jeep, you're in a vehicle, and you kind of go through Skull Island. There's King Kong fighting dinosaurs and stuff, and it's, again, a, a 3D attraction. And it's more 3D stuff, as you would imagine. Um, the ride was fun. The ride was a lot of fun, and it's because it's a newer ride. The 3D was a lot newer than some of the old stuff. If you go to uh, the Minion Mayhem or the Shrek or even, uh, I don't know, some of the other rides that had 3D stuff, the Mummy, the 3D doesn't look as effective. Uh, unfortunately, that was my problem with the with the escape from Gringotts Bank in the Harry Potter area that was over in Universal Studios in the uh, uh, in the Diagon Alley area because I didn't feel like the 3D was very effective. It didn't, to me, it didn't look good. It didn't look that good. I was never not aware that I was in a 3D movie. Kong, the 3D was pretty good. I mean, it's it's at some point you can kind of lose yourself a little bit in it, watch what's going on. You're in the jeep and you're kind of going around. It's like a little bus. There's a bunch of people sitting there and sitting there with you. You're probably in a jeep with 30 people. Now, I. I It's a lot of bumps and a lot of things you're going on a track. At some point, I do believe the vehicle itself, the physical vehicle itself stops and all the action goes on around you because at some point you kind of move backwards and then get back on the track again. So I don't think the track itself is very long. Uh, It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I actually rode it twice. I thought it was good. Um, I thought it was a great ride. I thought Kong would look real, look real. The 3D looked good. So I had no problems with that. I was, I was good with that. So then I walked back over to Toon Lagoon and. Let me tell you, I am not riding Ripshot, Ripsaw Falls. Uh, that's over in uh, the Toon Lagoon. The Deadly Do Ride Ripsaw Falls. I do like this area, though. I like the theming of this area. There's a lot of theming there that I don't think a lot of people would get. Um, well, I say a lot of people. I don't know that a lot of youngsters will get this theming because you know you've got theming to Alley Oop, Hagar the Horrible, Blondie. There's a Blondie song playing at a little restaurant there. They have. Uh, I forget the name of the restaurant, Comic Strip Cafe or something like that, where they shit, where they sell no Blondies. That's the name of the product, Blondies. They do specialty sandwiches and hot dishes and hot dogs and stuff like that. And they have a the Blondies theme song playing. And I, I mean, I, I hadn't heard this song in probably the last. I mean, since the last time I came to Islands of Adventure ten years ago, maybe five years ago. And I don't know that kids would relate to this because kids are walking around going, "Who is that? Why? What? Who is? Who is Kathy? Who is Little Orphan Annie? Who's?" And I don't know millennials and their comic strip. Uh, Forte, I can't tell you what comic strips they, they, they like and they don't like. I have no idea. It just seems like these are comic strips that maybe aren't as fam- won't be as familiar to younger viewers. But I thought it was great. I, I thought it was really, really fun. So I really enjoyed doing all of that and just kind of looking around and seeing all the comic strips and all the comic things going on. And they had um, they had uh, uh, Me Ship the Olive, which is a multi-level ship playground. It was actually under construction. Well, under refurbishment, so I didn't get to go to that. I wouldn't have gone to it anyway because I didn't want to get wet. Um, the Deadly, as I mentioned, Dudley Do Rights Ripsaw Falls, which is a hilarious flume ride. I would probably ride that if I on a different day when it wasn't so cold because people were coming off of there soaked head to toe. I mean, you watch the video, um, the video of it that I have. I mean, people are just soaked. So from Toon Island, from Toon Lagoon, actually, I walked over to Marvel Superhero Island, and this is a place basically dedicated to superheroes. They have Spider Man and Captain America and the Hulk and and uh, the X-Men are really there, and they're all just kind of uh, all kind of beefed up there. They have uh, the Doctor Doom's Fear Fall, which is kind of a – one of those you'll go up and you go down in like this, this harness chair. You go all the way up like 10, 15 stories, and you plummet to the earth. Um, Incredible Hulk Coaster is there. You can meet Spider-Man. They have the Captain America Diner. Uh, you can meet other superheroes, and of course the Spider-Man ride is there. I was not going to ride the Doctor Doom's Fear Fall. There are a couple of things I don't do, and that is when I am strapped into a chair and then thrust out in the middle of the middle of the air – you know, I don't know, 13 stories high. I don't do that. I don't like that because it, it bugs me. So I did not do that at all. The Incredible Hulk coaster, however, I did want to do is this massive green coaster 
very popular. And when I was w- actually waiting for Kong Skull Island for the park to open where I could go to, to Skull Island, I thought that's where a lot of people would go. And instead, a lot of people went straight to the Hulk. And that's kind of one of my suggestions. If you're going to do that, if you're going to if you're going to go uh, to Universal Islands, Islands of Adventure and you want to get on a ride first, go straight to Hulk. Do that first, then do everything else. Um, because it, it, it was, it was busy. It was busiest part, busiest ride of the day Now they had a single rider line, but it was shut down. And I asked the cast member or the team member and I'm like, can I do single rider? He was like, Oh, the wait time's the same. Come on in. I think the wait time posted was like 20 minutes. It was not the same. It was not the same at all. It was 45 minute wait at least. I may have waited close to an hour getting in line. Just, just me. Um, now before you go in, you have to use a locker. You have to empty out everything out of your pockets, keys, cell phones, money, change, anything in your pockets. You have to put it in this locker. This locker is free. So much like uh, some of the rides over at uh, uh, Universal Studios, you get free use of the locker. I think you can use it for up to two hours, maybe three hours or something like that. Um, and I've had this before where I think the first time I ever rode the Harry Potter ride, the, the uh, Forbidden Journey, I had lockers. And the ride took like two hours. And the locker time had expired, so I talked to a team member, and I'm like, I don't want to pay $10 to get my stuff out when I'm only 10 minutes late, and it was not my fault because the ride was two hours. And so they let, let, let they opened the locker up and get, let me have the stuff out of there. So it's not a big deal there, but just something to consider. You have to put everything in the locker. There's no choice because you have a metal detector you walk through, and if you have anything in your pockets, they will, they will make you go back and get out of line. And I watch this, observe this, because some of the line kind of goes up a little hill, and you can overlook that area where people are coming in. And I would see people being turned away, and they were having to leave, and then they would come back because you got you got to. They don't want things flying out, so don't think you're going to take a phone in there and videotape. Even if you have a phone sh- phone shoved in your sock or your pocket or something, that metal detector will detect it, or it might mess your phone up. So you don't want that to happen either. So the Hulk ride was great. It's a massive coaster. It starts off fast, a lot of loops, a lot of inversions. This is what a lot of people come to Universal for because they want the big rides, the big thrill rides, and the Hulk coaster is a thrill ride through and through. That is the definition of a thrill ride. I love roller coasters, so I loved this ride. If you don't like motion, if you don't like roller coasters, you do not want to do this ride. Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man was also there. This is a great ride too. This is um, it's a award, it's an award-winning ride. People love this ride. It's it's actually kind of old. It's been there for a while, and it's a motion simulator through uh, 3D as well. But it looks good. It still looks good. Um, the unlike Transformers, which I had ridden the day before. The Transformers ride, kind of the same thing where you're in a vehicle and it's moving around and you're going forward and shooting back and forth, whatever, and things are happening around you. Transformers is so frenzied. You can't tell what's going on. It's just this big conglomeration of just metal and explosions and Megatron going, I'll kill you, puny humans, and Optimus Prime. Oh, we're going to save the humans and whatever. It's just, it's crazy. Spider-Man is different. Spider-Man has that same effect, but it's not frenzied. You can kind of follow along in the action. You kind of get involved in the story. The set looks good. So I really, really enjoyed Spider-Man. Uh, this is a ride that I, I probably should have ridden a couple of times, but because uh, I was trying to get through these rides, I didn't know how long it was going to take, so I you know, shot through them as well. Um, coming around Superhero Island, you go Passport of Entry, back over to Seuss Landing. The Seuss Landing is kind of interesting, and this is a one thing I give to Universal. One thing I give to Universal is the fact their their rides are really well themed, and their lands are well themed as well. Now. Not everything is immersive. Um, as I mentioned before, with some lands, you can actually stand in a land to look over the distance and see other lands. And so it sort of takes you out of it. I think The Simpsons was the, was the worst about this because it's such a small, compact area that while you're standing in between Moe's Tavern and another kiosk that sells Duff beer with the signs, and there's a, there a picture of the a statue of the mayor of Springville and whatever, all you have to do is look between the buildings, and there's, there's Diagon Alley. Uh, uh, yeah, Diagon Alley in the distance. And over here, if you look over there, there's the Jimmy Fallon ride. And it's just there's all these things in 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 your sight. Um, 
Superhero Island and Dr. Seuss is a little bit different. I mean, it's a little bit bigger and it's a little more more themed. So you can look out and still kind of be surrounded by these themes, which is pretty cool. Uh, Seuss Landing is, is really neat. Now, I'm not somebody who's a huge Dr. Seuss fan. I don't have books piled up. We don't read a cat in the hat to our kids or anything like that. We have other books we do, but um, I have nothing against Dr. Seuss. Don't, don't get me wrong there. Don't think I don't like him. It's just he's not been a part of my life. Uh, as a whole, um, but the land is cool. They've got several different attractions there, several different things to look at. Uh, the High in the Sky Seuss Trolley Train Ride is actually kind of the best thing there because it's a little train trolley that goes through the land, but it's up above. So you're probably, I don't know, 20, 25 feet up, and this train goes through all the way around, which is kind of cool. They have the, they also have the Cat in the Hat Ride, which tells you the story of the Cat in the Hat as you're in like a little, little bouncy little chair. It kind of reminds me of the Winnie the Pooh ride over in Disneyland's, or Disney World's Magic Kingdom, where it's telling the story of Winnie the Pooh. Um, the High in the Sky ride reminds me of the People Mover over in Tomorrowland, where you're up above and you're kind of seeing the action down below. So that's kind of fun. They have the characters there, um, the character zone is there. They also have another place called uh, the One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. Which is uh, basically like a water thing that kids can do. I didn't do it because I didn't. I didn't do it. <laughs> but they have some really cool little shops as well. They've got the uh, and and I've also heard I didn't eat here, but I've heard the the Circus McGurkis Cafe Stupendous place has great fried chicken. So if you're in the parks and you want fried chicken, go try that and let me know what you think about it because I didn't try it, but I heard it was really good. So. Just something to consider with And they also have the carousel, carousel, uh, carousel, uh, which is also fun. I mean, it's a carousel. It goes a merry, it's a merry-go-round. It goes around and around a couple times, uh, you know, for two or three minutes. Then you get off and you're done. But all the instead of horses, you have uh, you have Seuss-themed characters. I saw the Lorax out there, and I also saw uh, the Cat in the Hat was out there as well with Thing One and Thing Two. Um, so it's a fun land. Don't don't skip over it. Don't just don't just think it's it's just silly. I mean, it's a fun land. Walk up through there, you get to the Lost Continent. There are two main things here, Poseidon's Fury and the Eighth Voyage of Sinbad. Poseidon's Fury is this uh, this this ruins of Poseidon's ancient temple thing with a special effects thing going on there. And and you're going in there, and uh, you have a quote-unquote tour guide, but all of a sudden things go awry, and they're bringing all these people through. The cool thing about this is there's one area of it. You have to walk through this tunnel of water, and you see this big tunnel there, and they shoot these jets, and this water, it's... Just, I guess close your eyes and imagine you're in a tunnel and the water is coming up around you and over your head into making one circle throughout the circumference of the tunnel itself, but it's not landing on you, if that makes any sense. It's almost like a whirlpool you're walking through. You stay dry. Uh, but it was really, really cool. But beyond that, I mean, it's just it's special effects and it's a little dated. Uh, I liked the I liked the attraction. This is not something I would do over and over, but if you've never done it, it's something kind of fun. It's for families. There's no motion to it. You just walk through it and the tour guide is fighting Poseidon and there's Poseidon and the bad guy. And I forget the bad guy's name. He's fighting as well and they're going back and forth. And there's, you know, holograms and images and whatever. So that was fun. Um, the Eighth Voyage of Sinbad is a show. It's a live stunt show that happens. And, and for whatever reason, now remember, this is March. This is early March. And so it's 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 cool this day. It's probably 60, 60-ish, 61 maybe. It's not very hot. It's not freezing, but it's the breeze is flowing, and it's a little cool here. Uh, for some reason, I sat in three different places during this show. There was fans going on. Why they didn't turn the fans off, I have no idea. Uh, but it was freezing in that amphitheater. And you go in through a, through, to a covered amphitheater, and you see the show where there's Sinbad and his pal and his girl and the, bad, the, the villain, and they're all kind of doing a stunt show, telling a story or whatever. It was cheesy i mean it was a little silly um you know 
Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I'm not going to go too far. I'm not going to diss it too much. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's, it's worthless. It's not. It looked fun. Um, I, I think I would have enjoyed it more had I not been under three different fans with air blowing on me, and I was freezing cold. Like, I was just almost shivering. It was so cold in there. So I watched the show, left there, and then finally walked up to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Uh, this is the Hogsmeade area, and this is the first Harry Potter area that was built. Um that was done uh, by Universal after they bought the rights to – after they worked out the rights with J.K. Rowling. little trivia for you here. Now, this is a story that I've heard over and over and over. Now, is it true? I think it's true. I can't give you a source that says it's absolutely true, so let's just go with it. Um, I believe that Disney was talking to J.K. Rowling about Potter uh, to Disney about possibly buying the rights to Harry Potter, about doing something with Harry Potter at Disney. If you can imagine that, Harry Potter and Mickey Mouse kind of working side by side. He wanted too much, too much control. J.K. Rowling would not allow that much control. Now, it is what it is. Disney's a very controlling company. They want to do certain things a certain way. But I have no beef with J.K. Rowling on that because if I wrote a book that was a that wrote a series of books that had sold hundreds of millions of copies, I would want control of my characters too. Especially when you're rich like J.K. Rowling, you can afford to say no to companies to say if they want to do something with your character. So Disney apparently wanted more control than J.K. Rowling was willing to give. Universal steps up to the plate, and they're like, hey, we'll do it. And J.K. Rowling's like, I want full control. And Universal Universal's saying, sure, fine, that's cool. Come on, we'll do it. So they did it. And the land is beautiful. It is gorgeous. Where I th whereas I think Diagon Alley is too small with one attraction and a restaurant. Um Hogsmeade is gorgeous. I mean, you walk in there and it's just you're surrounded by Hogsmeade and you feel like you were a part of the Harry Potter story. And they even made – and I think they've done some repairs on this to kind of fix this. But initially, some of the stores were kind of cramped and kind of small because that's the way it was in the story. You walk into Honeyduke's uh, you know, uh, candy shop, and back in the day, um, the, the, the shelves were kind of close together, and everything was just kind of cramped in there because you know, that's the way it was in the books. I think they've done some changes to this because when I went to Honeydukes this time, the, the, the aisles seem wider. And I know that's kind of a strange thing to notice, but everything seemed a little more open. Maybe they took some stuff out to get in there a little easier. I think people were complaining, but, um, but Honeydukes is great. Lots of, you know, chocolate frogs and, you know, all kinds of, all kinds of Harry Potter themed, um, Harry Potter themed, you know, candies and snacks and things like that. And other, you know, little knickknacks and paddywhacks and so on and so on. And so the big ride here, of course, is the, uh, the Forbidden Journey. And, it's not my favorite. Um, it's one of those, at the time, it was mind-blowing. And I remember at the time when I wrote it for the first time, I thought, man, that was a great ride. You're, in, you're at a bench. They kind of put the, the harness over you. And again, you have to empty your pockets, so, which I did. Um, empty purses, bags, keys, cell phones, money, all that good stuff. I didn't have a purse. I did have a satchel, uh, which looks like a purse, but it's not a purse. It's a satchel. It's where I keep my things. Indiana Jones had one. Um, so I put my stuff in the locker, and uh, free locker, of course, and... Read the ride, go through the, the theming inside the castle is amazing. It is unbelievable. If you're a fan of the book in any way, any way possible, just the theming inside the castle, just walking through and looking at everything. You you want to take forever because you want to walk through, you want to look at everything because everything is gorgeous. Um, everything is just like you think it would be, and there are moving staircases, and there are moving pictures and portraits, and you know, and there's holograms of the characters, Harry and and uh um and, and Ron and Hermione, they're talking to you. There's Dumbledore talking to you as well, maybe Snape. And unfortunately, no Ginny Weasley, who's my favorite character. Uh, Team Ginny all the way. Um, but there's not, no Ginny, but all the characters are talking to you. And it's hologram things. You can kind of tell it's a hologram. But uh, it's, the theming is gorgeous. You go in there and they ride the ride. You, you get in a the bench, they strap you down, and the whole bench moves. You and three other of your closest friends 
the bench moves through a series of Harry Potter adventures. You're on the Quidditch field, which, by the way, was a cool sequence. Uh, you're fighting Dementors. You're going on the night bus. You're going through the castle, that kind of thing. I mean, it's fun. It's very jerky. It's very motion sickness. People should not ride this ride because it's all over the place. Uh, I, I don't think I enjoyed it as much this time as I did last time. Um, it's uh, it, it, it's a lot of fun. I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I don't. I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. But uh, I liked it, so I do recommend it. I finally rode Flight of the Hippogriff. Now, Flight of the Hippogriff is a smaller coaster um, right there. It's mostly for kids. I think kids could really enjoy this coaster. It doesn't do any big inversions. doesn't do any big loops or anything like that. But I get to ride it. It was a lot of fun. So that was cool. Um, and they also have they, – they used to have the Dueling Dragons, which was two roller coasters that was there that were kind of intertwining. And I forget what this coaster was called before they put this – in here, and there was another name for it. It was maybe, was it was it Dueling Dragons? I think it was Dueling Dragons actually, and they changed it to something else. It's close. It doesn't matter because the rides are closed. They have two roller coasters that were there, the intertwining roller coasters that kind of went around each other. They're closed. Doesn't matter. Finally, I left Harry Potter, went over to the Lost World Jurassic Park, and um, they have a Jurassic Park Playground, which is there. They also have the Flying Pterodactyls, which I really want to ride, but you got to have a kid to ride it with you. It's crazy. It's like a kid ride, but it's up above. It's like higher than the Seuss ride. It's probably 30, 40 feet in the air, and it's a little track that goes around the Lost World. And I really want to ride this, and I guess I'm going to have to take my kid to ride it with me because I, I want to ride it. It looks cool. Um, but I, I can't because I'm not big enough. They have a water ride there called the uh, Jurassic Park something something. Um, oh, what's it called? River Adventure. Jurassic Park River Adventure, which sounds exactly like uh, uh, like it sounds. You go through like a, it's you're in a the big round or big uh, raft thing with other people, and it goes through a series of adventures. The water splashes on you, and so on and so on and so forth. So anyway, so that's my Universal trip. Uh, I did all those things Universal. I was done by three in the afternoon. Now again, this is me. This is all me. This is all, all just me going through these things. But, um, uh, you know, I was able to move pretty quickly, and I'm glad I had a park to park pass because I did go back and forth between the two parks a couple times and uh, had my locker and everything. I had quick transportation pick me up again at 6 p.m. Um, I was able to get picked up pretty quickly and uh, wasn't a problem. So, if you're buying a ticket, if you're buying a ticket to Universal, and I actually priced this out for a, uh, for a, for a client today who's looking at Universal tickets. Uh, which I can do universal tickets. I can do universal trips. I'm happy to send you on a universal trip. I'd love to send you on a universal trip. Uh, she, the client, she and her fiance are getting married, and they want to they want to go to a Disney trip, but they also want to tuck in a day at Universal uh, for their honeymoon. And so a a one day ticket, a one day ticket that allows you to go from park to park, which is a I guess they call it a park hopper or a park to park ticket, allows you to move back and forth, uh, plus transportation. Uh, two of those for two people, two tickets, two people, 430 bucks for one day. Now that's a lot of money. I mean, you think to yourself, man, that's a lot of money. Of course, this is around July 4th time. So it is seasonal pricing. It might be a little bit cheaper other times of the year, but yeah, one day at Universal can cost you a lot of money if you want to do both parks. Uh, do I recommend doing both parks? I do. I really do. If you've got the money to spend, if you can spend the money, I do recommend doing both parks, even in one day, even if you can't get everything done, pick the highlights, go on those. Um, if you stay on Universal property and you stay in a in a moderate or deluxe or they call it premium resort, you get what's called the Express Pass, which means you get a kind of the front of the line access, and every ride, nearly every ride, had a an Express Pass line that you could go through. So staying on property there is not a bad idea if you want to do several days at Universal. Um, now, is it worth four hundred and thirty three bucks for two people? That's up to you. I'm not going to tell you what's what's worth it to you and what's not worth it to you. You kind of have to decide on that on your own. Uh, I do recommend doing both parks though. And if you're at a you know, if you're at a Disney World resort, 
you can get picked up on what's called Quick Transportation. It's a company that run that works with Universal. They don't Universal doesn't own them, but they work with Universal. You set your time for pickup. You call them. You pay the extra. It's like thirty five dollars round trip. Uh, you pay the extra, and then you call Quick Transportation like a day or two beforehand. Say, hey, I want, I'm at Pop Century Resort. I want to be picked up at seven thirty in the morning. Um, you know, and I want to leave Universal. Please pick me up from Universal to take me back to Pop Century at six thirty at night. And they set that. And if you want to change 630 to something else, you just call them back during the day and say, hey, can I move my time to 730? And they'll work with you on that. So it's actually a really good deal. Quick Transportation was a great company. They had nothing. I had nothing but good good thoughts on them. Great drivers. Uh, prompt service. They were right there. Um, just understand that when you leave in the evening, when you leave at night, you go to an area. Now, when you're dropped off at this area, there's not a whole lot going on. I mean, there's cars are coming up and dropping people off and so on and so on. But in the evening, the park's closed at, I think, at 8 o'clock. And one night I was being picked up at 7. The other night I was being picked up at 6. It's a hive of activity because there are buses there. There are shuttles there. There are Uber drivers there. Quick Transportation and other transportation companies are there. So they're all going around this 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 area of bus stops trying to pick up clients, trying to pick up people. So it is, it's madness. So make sure you are very clear about where you know your pickup time. Uh, make sure you get an idea of who your driver is. I mean, you should get it. I think Quick Transportation sent me a text, and they were like, you know, your driver will be Jorge. He'll pick up at 6 and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the van has Quick Transportation on it. Or your Uber driver can contact you or your, or your Lyft driver or whatever. Just understand that being picked up from that area is a little chaotic. So make sure you're on top of that. Make sure you know what you're doing when you go there because it's crazy. Um, but it was a lot of fun. I do recommend doing Universal. I would say – if you ask me how many days to do it, I would say two days, a day at each park, with the ability to go from park to park. And you could even leave off the park to park part if you just wanted to do two days, do a park one day and do the other park the next day. They have City Walk in the middle, so you can always walk over to City Walk and have dinner. That's what I did. I had lunch there at Bubba Gump. I've never eaten Bubba Gump Shrimp Company, so I had lunch there. It was really good. Uh, um, you know, I had some shrimp, shrimp and grits is what I had. It was good. And, you know, I had a Cinnabon there um, that morning and – Great places to eat, so they have really good restaurants. And I like the fact that Universal is all within walking distance of each other. It reminds me of Disneyland in California, where you can walk from California Adventure to Disneyland in less than two minutes. It's a, that quick of a walk. I think it's like a 10-minute walk, maybe a 7-minute walk at a fast pace from one to the other, going through City Walk and everything at Universal. But it's it's a great setup. It really, really, really is. Of course, Disney World. See, that's my home. I love Disney World. I think it's the best. Um but uh, you know you have to catch a bus to most things. You can't just walk from a park to a park because that's just insane. Um, you can do that from Epcot to Hollywood, but even that's a mile. And I don't because let me tell you that's uh, that's I'm on vacation. I shouldn't be walking a mile outside of the park. If I'm going to walk ten miles, I'm going to walk inside the park. So anyway, that is my Universal review. Part one last week, part two this week. So I'm really hoping that you enjoy that. Um, I'm hoping you got a lot of a Universal. Please let me know if you want to go to Universal. I will be happy to try to get you there. You can find me on magiconadollar at gmail.com or go to magiconadollar.com. So either at Gmail or just go .com directly and you'll find Magic on a Dollar. Find me on Facebook. I am Disney on a Dollar. That's my Facebook page. And also I've got uh, uh, I've got a Magic on a Dollar page as well. That's more of a fan page. i got you know, a few fans posting some Disney stuff. It's a, lot, it's a lot more interactive. You post stuff on, on Disney on a Dollar. Chances are it may not be seen because the way Facebook sets up the business page, and I hate saying business because we have a lot of fun over there. I post a lot of articles and things like that, and right now we're in the midst of the magical movie madness. We're almost done. Um, we're in the Enchanted 8, and we're looking at the uh, – or setting up the Enchanted 8. So next week or actually later on this week, we'll 
we'll see, you know, people will be voting on their favorite movies, Mary Poppins or Aladdin or Moana versus Toy Story or, you know, Beauty and the Beast and probably Tangled based on the way the votes go. So go there, win some prizes, vote on your favorites as well. I'd love to see you voting over there. Um, but you can find me there. Also find me on Instagram at, at Magic on a Dollar, Twitter at Disney on a Dollar. So there you go. Anyway, have a great show or have a great week. I hope you enjoy the show. Don't forget our show sponsored by MyResumeLady.com. She has been with me since the beginning of this show. Amy Campbell is the owner of MyResumeLady.com. Go there. Click on that website. She is a – she's brilliant, and she's wonderful, and she's a good friend of mine too. So I don't mind bragging on her at all. She's done some great things, built this company up over the last 10 years, has helped hundreds of people with their resumes, with their marketing, with LinkedIn. I didn't really realize LinkedIn was much of an app. I didn't really pay attention to it, and I'll be honest with you. I don't utilize it like I should now. But it is a is is an incredible tool. She's taught me more about LinkedIn than I could ever imagine. She's the person I go to for LinkedIn questions and even resume. Say, hey, what about this on a resume? What about that on a resume? And she's brilliant when it comes to that stuff. So visit MyResumeLady.com. Talk to Amy Campbell and uh, just let her know I sent you over there. Also, the show produced by my good friend Clay Shaver, host of the Remodeling Clay podcast. He's the guy who releases the show every Thursday morning talking about the best version of you. Last week, episode 218 came out where he discusses the grudge match waged daily between social media and the best version of you. Sounds intriguing, doesn't it? And I just got back from vacation, so I have not listened to last week's show yet. I'm still catching up, and that's actually on the docket for this afternoon. As I go pick up my kid from school, that's what I'm going to be listening to is the best version of me. So anyway, my name is David Dollar. Once again, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Disney on a Dollar Magic on a Dollar podcast. Don't forget to thank a Phoenician.